Hello, this is Reverend Judith Laxer. Thank you for listening to the podcast of our service entitled A Time to Dream. My wish is that the food for thought offered nourishes your soul. The Gaius Temple Ministry is sustained by generous donations such as yours, and we need your financial support. If everyone who listened in donated just $3, that would ensure our continuance. If you feel served by listening and wish to donate to help support our ministry, please push the donate button now and give generously. We'd be most grateful. Thank you, happy holidays, and blessed be. Well, my friends, today is 12-12-21. That's a lot of twos and ones. And even if you add in the 2021, that's just adding in really one more two. So it's still a lot of twos and ones. So for the numeral, numerologist, uh, numerologists in all of us, um, this reduces down to an 11. And 11 is a master number. And so this is a master day, which means that we are going to master the teachings of Gaia's Temple today with no problem whatsoever. We're just going to become masters at dreaming in the dark. Uh, so it is a master number 11 today, but we have nine days until the winter solstice, which is the longest night on the wheel of the year and the shortest day. And it is said on that night, the story that we tell is that the great goddess, great cosmic mother, labors to give birth to the sun. And on the solstice morning, he returns. And from then on, the days will begin to grow longer until the summer solstice. And the summer and the winter solstice hold the polarities on the wheel. Longest day and longest night. Now we're going toward the longest night. And these are the two extreme times on the wheel. The equinoxes, as it sounds, equi, um, are the more balanced times. But the solstices are the extreme times of the year. So we tell ourselves a story that the great cosmic mother is laboring to give birth of the, to the sun. And we also know what is actually happening is that the earth is turning and she is turning on her act. She's leaning differently as she continues in her orbit around the sun in the center of our galaxy. The earth is turning and the earth continues to turn. And that continuum should, uh, will bring light to our hearts. And so now we're going to listen to the beautiful song, Light of Our Hearts Fire. Nope, nope. That's, that's the wrong song, Mari. That's for a song, that's for later. It's the light of our hearth's fire burning bright. Do we have that one? We might not have a slide for it, but if we have the song, we can at least listen to the song. I don't see it. I see longest night and come into our dream. Uh, it's called longest night. Oh, I'm sorry. It's called longest night. Okay. I, I called it the wrong thing. Thank you, Pam. That's it. Light of our hearts, fires burning bright. We dream of the spring this winter's night. 
Thank you. Oops, put the volume on. Thank you. Pam did such a beautiful job pulling that together and all of our magnificent singers. And hopefully that is what we will do this Saturday night. We will gather together in reverence to celebrate the longest night together. So, you know, this is a time of the year. Obviously, the holidays are here. All my holiday CDs are out and I'm listening to them, you know, constantly. And, you know, the, so many of the songs will remind us to be of good cheer and to fill ourselves with goodwill, goodwill toward one another. And it just got me thinking, asking myself, actually, why it's so easy to be filled with goodwill for this rather short period of time on the wheel. And then the rest of the time, we go back to being our selfish, irritated, uh, judgmental, irritated selves. Like, what is it about this particular time that brings us this goodwill and makes it so easy to feel the goodwill? And then it just disappears, including for the rest of the winter. Like, this goodwill is like just around these couple of weeks. And then after the holidays are over, you know, we still have all of January. And then it's just like, there goes the goodwill. Why does that have to happen? So I've really been thinking about this phenomenon. And there are a few reasons why I think the goodwill disappears. And basically, it's because we're afraid of the dark. And we're afraid of the dark in a whole bunch of different ways. Now, you might say, I'm not afraid of the dark. I can sit in the dark and I'm not afraid. But I would just ask you to consider these few points that I have to offer up. When we have a nightmare, for example, we, it usually happens at night when we are sleeping and we wake up into the darkness from something that is intensely frightening, something that we didn't conjure up. Now we can conjure up nightmarish thoughts all day long in the light of day, but the nightmare seems to just kind of come upon us and we find ourselves in a very frightening situation and then we wake up into the dark and so there's that association there that there's something frightening and it happens in the dark and of course we all know about the boogeyman who's underneath our bed and also that you know uncertainty uh, makes us afraid because we have a primal need to protect ourselves so the uncertainty the unknown automatically fills us with fear and that happens because we are also living in a world, for those of us who have sight, who overly rely on our eyes. So that we're, when we're in the dark and we can't see, it brings up fear because we are so reliant on our vision and our visuals. Not to mention, we are now living in a world and have been for a long time, but even more so now, I think, that is constantly lit up. Now, we are stringing lights around our homes and on the outside of our homes and on the holiday tree and all of that because we are you know, doing our sympathetic, sympathetic magic to keep the light in the darkest time of the year. But constantly, all night long, there are lights on. There are street lights on that come in through the window, even though the blinds or the curtains might be closed. And just think about all the electronics that we have, all those LED lights that we have on, it's constant. Even when I shut all the lights to go to bed, there's still light coming in from the window and there's light coming from the electric clock. We so rarely get to be in complete darkness. And so we have gotten used to always having some light around and always being able to at least partially see. 
you know, I remember this was 12 and a half years ago, which is kind of hard to believe it was 12 and a half years ago that I went to Greece. But that one experience, which I remember sharing with you when I came back, where we climbed down into this very deep, magnificent cave, deep down, deep down, like half an hour down into the earth. This climb took a long ways to get all the way down there. And we had our little, you know, spelunking headpieces on with the, with the flashlights. And when we all got to the very bottom, we turned those flashlights off and was in the darkest I'd ever been in. Absolutely an absence of light. For the first couple of seconds, I couldn't even see my hand right in front of my face. It's amazing how your eyes begin to adjust though. But part of the ritual that we did after sitting in the silence was the leader of this circle lit a match and lit a candle. And I'm telling you, when that light emerged from that level of darkness, I mean, I gasped as if I'd never seen a candle get lit before, you know, it was like, oh, it was just remarkable and stunning. And we don't get those kind of experiences anymore because we are constantly lit up with electronics and it has thrown everything out of balance. So that's another reason why we're afraid of the dark because we don't have experiences very often in complete darkness. And then of course there's this, which is that we are living in a racist society and we have been entrained and taught and it's just come down the pipe from, from years and years and years of racism, which tells us that dark is bad and light is good. And people of color are bad, less valuable, dangerous, criminals, you name it. And we might not think that has anything to do with our fear of the dark, but it does. It's in there too. Then of course there's winter and winter brings incredible hardship, right? There's the cold and storms are happening now. I mean that, my God, that string of what, like 23 tornadoes that is coming up through Kentucky right now? My goodness. It's the fallow season. We can't just walk out to our gardens and grab some lettuce for lunch anymore, right? We have to really think about how we're going to keep warm and fed and dry. There's the decrease in vitamin D right now because the days are shorter and that suppresses our immune system. And also if we experience seasonal affective disorder, right, then our, our bodies, our minds, and our spirits are challenged to stay healthy and robust during this season. So we put hardship and we put darkness together and soon darkness is associated with hardship and it's associated with trouble and with problems and that brings our fear to the surface. Now, when we are in that fearful place, we contract to protect ourselves. It's, it's the animal part of ourselves and there's really nothing wrong with that. If we feel that we are in danger, we contract to protect ourselves. It's, it's very natural. However, over time, if we stay in that contracted state, we then become afraid to open up again. We are afraid to keep ourselves open to people, to situations, to experiences. I mean, I've just been thinking, of course, like all of us, about this pandemic, which is raging on. And for pretty soon, close to two years, most of us anyway, or I would assume most of us here in this congregation have been doing our best to socially distance and and kind of keeping ourselves contracted in order not to get COVID. 
when I start to think about what it's going to feel like to try to go back out into the world again, I notice that I have some resistance to it. And it just shows me how we get used to being a certain way and it's difficult to change. Change is difficult. I guess that's just part of the human condition. But anyway, what happens over time of staying contracted is that we start to get very brittle. And with brittle, when we become brittle like this, it contributes to our fragility. And then we cease to have room for anyone else in our hearts or in our minds or in our lives. And so it's kind of like this, this, pathology, this confluence of things about fear of the dark for all of the reasons that I mentioned, and then the hardships of winter, and we come to this place where we are very, very contracted. However, this is also in the, in the depth of it, we are feeling goodwill and we are encouraged to feel goodwill and goodwill is the order of the day. So I was thinking about that. And I think that the goodwill really is also kind of primal. Like the dark half of the year is a reflective time. So we're thinking deeply about our lives and the year past and our loved ones and, and all of it. We're counting our blessings and at this time of year we're actively participating in being charitable to those less fortunate than us so that they can be on the receiving end of goodness. Winter's hardship, while it makes us contract against the cold, it also evokes our empathy. And I think this is something we need to remember and to cultivate and remind ourselves that we can have empathy in this troubled time which we should regardless of the season, because it is also primal for us to want everyone to survive. Yeah, I don't want to get COVID, but I don't want anyone to get COVID, for example. And we want to move forward through the winter and we want to all make it through the winter, right? Like our loved ones in our community, it's very primal for us to want all of us to make it. And so goodwill makes sense in the winter because it's necessary. Now, the opposite of contracting is increasing. Increasing goodwill as a way to be, like a choice that we make to be goodwill, to be filled with goodwill and to act from a place of goodwill. So here's a very simple example. I see it happen all the time while driving. You're driving along on the freeway and there's the on-ramp right beside you and you see a car that's driving approximately your speed. Now, some people will speed up to make sure that they beat that person coming in off the off-ramp. But what would happen if we applied some goodwill? We don't have to slow down necessarily, but we can take our foot off the gas pedal, give it a couple of car lengths and let the person in relieve the stress of that moment for both of us, for both of you, and for everyone. It contributes to the flow. It's goodwill. Goodwill is as contagious as stinginess is. It's just as contagious. We get to choose, and we choose that inside of ourselves. That's the internal work. We make a decision. I'm going to act from goodwill today and the next morning. I'm going to act from goodwill today and day after day after day after day. We have to remind ourselves to soften again and again. It's a harsh world out there. Our first impetus is to toughen up 
and contract to protect ourselves. And while there is wisdom in that, that can't be our only response or after we do that and once the danger or perceived danger is passed, we must remember to soften. We must stoke those internal fires, that internal warmth, keeping our heart warm and soft, even in the coldness of the season and the coldness of people and the coldness of situations and the coldness of experiences. So when I ask myself, why can't we extend the effort to remain in a place of goodwill long beyond the holidays? There really is no reason, except that we have to choose to do so and we have to remember. And the cool thing about it is that when you let that person in in front of you, it feels good. It's not just the goodwill you give to others. That goodwill is something you feel too. It feels good. It just feels good to be good. <laughs> it feels good to be good. So be good, my people. Goodwill is a virtue. Now, in her book, Rooted, Life at the Crossroads of Science, Nature, and Spirit, which was recommended to me by our congregant, Sue Ellen Mealy, a fabulous book, author Lyanda Lynn Haupt talks about virtue, and she says, while virtue might sound a bit prim and moralistic, it's described as the power to realize good and to do so joyfully and with perseverance in spite of obstacles. I want to repeat that because it's magnificent. Virtue is the power to realize good and to do so joyfully and with perseverance in spite of obstacles. So I want to just talk about that first phrase in there about to realize good. So we can look at the word realize as, you know, when we notice something or we recognize, oh, that's good. Oh, this person was good. They were kind to me. This was a good situation. Everybody was happy. So realizing good is to recognize it where it exists. But we can also look at the word realize as a verb, which is to make real. And for us to realize good is to be that goodness. So that's taking your foot off the accelerator to let the person in on the off-ramp. That is realizing good. And then of course to do it joyfully, right? So that is also a choice, you know? You just think about the task that you don't like to do. Like the laundry, for instance, right? It's like you can grumble through the laundry and be miserable and hate every bit of it, or you can decide how wonderful that I have a washing machine in my home, or I can get to a washing machine that has hot water and the miracle of a dryer in 45 minutes is gonna dry my clothes and tomorrow morning I'm gonna get into snugly clean, beautiful clothes, right? That is the joy that we choose, even in things that we wouldn't necessarily think are joyful, you know? And then it's with perseverance, which means it's not a one and done. It's a choice we make again and again and again and again in spite of obstacles. And that means that, you know, that person who comes in off the off-ramp, they might not say, hey, thank you. Not that that's necessarily an obstacle, but you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything's gonna be easy because we choose to live from good, goodwill, um, but we're not gonna let the obstacles against our goodwill or what hits up against that stop us from making the effort anyway. We are seeing so much unvirtuous behavior in our world and have been for quite some time now. 
So for me, seeing so much of what I consider selfish, greedy, litigious, instigating bad behavior, it just makes me want to be as virtuous as I can to counterbalance it. And I invite you to see what happens if you decide that goodwill is not just going to be something that happens around the holidays. You know, so what this means essentially is that we, you know that expression, don't let the turkeys get you down. Actually, I, I, I feel bad for the turkeys because the turkey is such a beautiful spirit animal of giveaway. I don't know why it became don't let the turkeys get you down. But essentially what it's saying is, you know, there's going to be bad behavior out there, but that does not, it's not necessarily an invitation to follow suit. And it doesn't mean it's okay. And so what we have to do is rise above. Like we have to recognize, I don't like that behavior. I'm not going to engage in it. Sometimes we feel socially the pressure to, or we're afraid to contest something in the moment. Um, but we really, we just have to rise above so that we become the model of the kind of behavior that we want to see out there and let them rise to us rather than us taking it down. Look, this is basic stuff. I know it's basic stuff. But I think we need reminders of this because life is coming at us so fast. So many hardships left, right, and center. Centered is where we have to stay and in that place of choice. That's where we make the choice on the inside to behave from that place of goodwill. And if we work to maintain that sense of centeredness and peacefulness inside ourselves, those places that engender goodwill, then there will be peace on earth. Maybe there won't be peace on earth everywhere all at once, but if we are peace and we are here on the planet, there is peace on earth. And the more of us that do that, the more peace on earth there will be. Could there be a more magnificent message during the holidays than peace on earth? I don't think so. Why is it only for the holidays? It's not. So let your goodwill, your long-standing goodwill, be contagious. That is the kind of contagion we can all get 100% behind, I think. So that's my, that's my spiel on goodwill. Now, at this time on the wheel of the year, like I said, there's nine more days until the winter solstice. This time, this next week and some days, is the darkest time on the wheel. There is more darkness than light. This is the time to let ourselves be in the dark. I know this is like everybody's crazy to finish up all the holiday stuff in preparation, but this is really the time to be as still and quiet and in the darkness as we possibly can create and manage. Let yourself be in the dark. Turn off the lights. Sit in the dark and sit in the quiet for a while. Like gift that to yourself. When the sun starts going down here at 4.30 in the Northwest, just don't turn on the light for a little while. Just be in the darkness and just be with what nature is doing. We're always looking to see what nature is doing and trying to emulate her in our spiritual practice. Being in the dark, this is the time. The light is gonna return soon enough. This is the time to be with the dark. So also from that book, Rooted, 
She says, while light travels, there is no speed of dark. <laughs> I love that. Darkness becomes us, becomes us, B-E-C-A-L-M, becomes us in a constant receptive awareness. Darkness offers intelligent stillness that fills and tills our psyches in a manner both difficult and beautiful. This is a complicated moment on earth and it's no time to retreat into the simplistic metaphor of bringing light. Remember like you know, back in the 90s, we were just gonna bring light into the situation and that would just take care of everything. That is, we're finding now that it's too complicated. That, that, that simplistic bringing light is not enough. The hope we must maintain, the imagination we must put to use, and the physical health we require all ask of us a more intricate wisdom. She says, let us dwell in the dark as we can. Instead of the luminous as a measure, we can turn with more nuance to the numinous. See the dark. Be awake in its ancient cradle. Oh, I just love that. So we should try to feel the stillness and the quiet in this loud and busy world. It seems counterintuitive to just just before the holidays, just stop. But if we can, as often as we can, even in little snippets here and there, do, do stop. I love this poem. I've read it in Gaia's Temple before, but I want to repeat it here. It's a poem by Joyce Rupp called Winter's Cloak. This year, I do not want the dark to leave me. I need its wrap of silent stillness its cloak of too long-lasting embrace. Too much light has pulled me away from the chamber of gestation. Let the dawn come late. Let the sunsets arrive early. Let the evenings extend themselves while I lean into the abyss of my being. Let me lie in the cave of my soul, for too much light blinds me, steals the source of revelation. Let me seek solace in the empty places of winter's passage, those vast dark nights that never fail to shelter me. I just think that's so beautiful. So what's happening in nature right now is, in addition to the darkness, is that life is in a place of gestation. The process of gestation is the process of carrying or being carried in the womb between conception and birth. That's the gestation place. It's also the development of something over a period of time. So gestation is that, that place before manifestation that is still and quiet, but also a getting ready. Not in an act of getting ready, but in a gestating getting ready. Darkness is also where dreams happen, right? That's what happens when we sleep at night. Hopefully we dream. and But even whenever it is that we're dreaming, even during a daydream, we're not busy when we're dreaming. Usually if we go off into a daydream, we're like, we're kind of still. Our minds are off, uh, engaged in our imagination. And so we must remember that those dreams come from our imagination. And we must also remember that the word magic and imagination come from the same root. 
when we dream, and especially now in this dark time, this is the time to not just dream, but to dream our high, holy dream, the highest, holiest dream we can dream in the very depth of the solar year. That's how we span and try to balance across the wheel. Dreaming is the first part of a manifestation process. We must first imagine what we want to establish in our reality. It starts in our imagination first. We often dismiss or don't believe in our dreams because our high holy dreams seem so lovely and perfect that a part of us can't believe that we can ever manifest it. In fact, we think that it's really more like a fantasy. Now, a fantasy, I looked it up, a fantasy is the power or process of creating especially unrealistic or improbable mental images in response to a psychological need, you know, like winning the lottery. Oh, if I win the lottery and I have all that money, then I do this and that and this and that and the other, and it all seems possible because we can fund it, you know, for example. But our high holy dreams are important for us to put them in the ethers sort of as a placemaker. We put them in the ethers to gestate and then we live into them or we try to live into them. This is the time to be putting those dreams in place so that after the sun is born and we enter or start to enter into lighter days and more active time, we know the dream we're going after. So that's what this time is now. Now, a dream, however improbable, is not necessarily unrealistic. For example, we can dream up the kind of world that we want to live in, kind and equitable and healthy and filled with joy and goodwill. And while it may seem improbable, it's not unrealistic. It could happen. And it happens with all of us trying for it. In between improbable and impossible, that's where our magic lies. That's where our dreams need to be coming from. Our spiritual work in the depth of winter is not the time to put into action or even to make the plan. This is just the time to dream it up. So now Mari will listen to come into our dream.
So let's take a moment now, if you would, close your eyes. Let's take a moment now, if you would, close your eyes and go within. Let's take another deep breath and reestablish your connection to your grounding cord that we set down at the beginning of the service. And if you entered after we did that, go ahead and ground yourself to Mother Earth now. And then bring yourself, your attention to your third eye in the center of your forehead. Imagine it like an actual eye, like your other two. Go ahead and open it up and look out through it into your imagination and find yourself cozy inside on a cold winter's night. Maybe you're sitting in your favorite chair or couch with a blanket over your knees or before a fire, wherever you feel safe and cozy and all tucked in against the harshness of life. Now in a moment, we're gonna take a moment of silence and stillness. And I'm gonna ask you to conjure up a dream of the world that you want to leave to your children. And you don't have any children, then the children of the world, others beloved children, because we know all children are all of our children. Let yourself dream up a world that is safe and healthy, kind and loving. All the things. Imagine the world that way. Imagine that a great shift has occurred in everyone, a great awakening in every heart, a turning toward peace and restoration. Imagine that world now. Now I'm going to ask you to get a bit more specific. Think of one situation or one condition that you now dream up to be healed and therefore much improved and see the results of that healing. So imagining how the world is different and specifically how the people of the world are different, including yourself, that their choice, your choice in any situation and pick one situation that your choice, that their choice in this situation is kindness and fairness and loving and peaceful. Imagine a specific situation in which that occurs now. Now imagine that dream, your dream, grows roots. And those roots reach from wherever they are in your imagination down to our Mother Earth. Thick, strong roots. Roots that ground them to the goddess, she who gives life to all of our dreams. Root them now and know that these roots 
will keep the life force of our beautiful dreams, our high holy dreams in the darkness, nourished and growing. Root them now. And then take another deep breath and let the image fade and gently bring yourself back here with me in Gaia's temple. Our dreams inspire us. We can inspire ourselves with our own dreams and they motivate us. And this is the time, especially now, up until the solstice, to dream in the dark. Embrace the darkness, my friends. And over the next nine days, perhaps you'll include in your spiritual practice a few moments each night to be still and quiet in the darkness and dream. Or maybe you'll recharge this dream that you had here in our worship service. Or maybe you'll embellish it with even more detail. Perhaps over the next little while, when the sun goes down so early, you'll say, oh, how wondrous, <laughs> and appreciate having more darkness. The light will come soon enough, but right now it's the time to dream our high holy dreams, our most joyous and sacred dreams. So my friends, may you and yours be safe and healthy and happy throughout the holiday season and into 2022. May you carry peace and goodwill in your heart as much as you can, as often as you can, and may you encounter it everywhere you go and in everything you do and with everyone you meet. May goodwill emerge and grow with the sunlight from our time of dreaming in the dark. Blessed be. Before we open the floor for our community prayers, which is typically what we do at this time, I want to take a moment to express my gratitude. I love to do this at the end of every year, and I'm going to do it again at the end of this year, right here, right now. I like to acknowledge and thank the amazing people who have provided such support for this ministry and of me personally as well. Beginning with the Board of Directors for Gaia's Temple, Reverend President and Reverend Karina Frenzel, Vice President Stina Brown, Secretary Tema Gotchberg, Treasurer Noemi Shaparo, and Director Maggie Yell Wilson. I don't know what I'd do without you. Your shared vision and support, both hands-on and in your big loving hearts, means the world to me. A huge thank you to Mari Budlong, for our, who handles our tech for us. Thank you so much. You have just been like amazing arriving exactly when we needed you during this pandemic. And I'm so glad that you're with us, Mari. Thank you so much. Thank you to all the musicians who brought their talent and contributed such beauty to our music this year. And a special thank you to Pamela Gerke for her continued musical support, like spending hours editing and mixing the recordings that we listened to today. And also to the singers on those recordings, including Pam, Kimberly Agbiani, Roxanne Dunaway, Colleen Colris, Robin Ozirkis, and Oriel Lopez-Shulman, and Elizabeth Zinda. 
and to all of the musicians. If you happen to be watching, thank you all so very, very much. The music to me is just so much a part of the service. In fact, often I will find the song first and build the music from that. So I'm just so grateful to all of you. Thank you to all of the wonderful ritualists who have helped us keep the Sabbaths holy this year and to every single person who came and attended, especially online. It's amazing the deep magic that we and, and the beautiful magical and spiritual integrity we have been able to maintain in these Sabbaths virtually. So I just want to encourage you, if you're watching and you haven't participated with us, join in and watch how magical it can be over cyberspace. It's just amazing. Thank you to all of the ritualists who also found their courage to give it a go. And again, I want to encourage you that if you have never been a ritualist and you want to give it a try and invoke an element just to see how it feels, contact us and let us know. It's a beautiful community service and we're grateful. To Karen and Bob Harper again, who invited us to come to their home and make wreaths again this year. And to everyone who bought a beautiful wreath, uh, the most, it's a most important fundraiser for our temple, helps us get over the hump, especially toward the end of the year. Karen and Bob, thank you so very, very much. And finally, to everyone who is here today and those who attend but aren't here today, and to all of you who listen to the podcast wherever you are all over the globe, I love that you're listening. We just recently went past 10,000 downloads of our services all over the globe. Thank you all for meeting me here in the sacred space that we create together. Thank you for your open-hearted love of the goddess and your presence and your practice in her ways and for choosing to do so as part of the Gaius Temple community. I know we are a small entity in a very big world, but that makes us no less important. Our magic is potent, and that is because its roots are in our values of love, peace, respect, and integrity. Thank you so much, everyone, for your financial donations, your pledges, and your contributions in every way, and by doing so, helping to sustain Gaia's temple for us all. Your presence and participation contributes to the financial, the spiritual, and community health of Gaia's Temple, and I am eternally grateful. Thank you so much, and blessed be.